Seven Things I Wish Christians Knew. Hi, and welcome to Seven Things I Wish Christians Knew, a super series designed to help you get past seven of the most common mistakes Christians make when it comes to the Bible. I'm your host, Mark Hadley, and I'm joined by Dr. Mike Bird, theological weightlifter and the author of the book by the same name. And this episode is Chapter 7, Christ is the Centre of the Christian Bible. First up, Mike, thanks for being part of the show. And maybe we should start with what other things we might be tempted to make the centre of the Christian Bible if it's not Christ. Oh, there can be all sorts of things. You know, it can be our own experience, our own context, uh, which inevitably we do. We, we, we interpret all texts, including the Bible, in light of our own experience. And we try to identify things that are foreign with things that are familiar, or we may have a you know, particular agenda or a particular presupposition, or, or maybe we're just trying to interpret it as a kind of bland ancient religious literature. But I would say as a Christian, you need to read the whole Bible, not just the New Testament, the whole Bible Christianly. And that's because, you know, as Christians, we believe that scripture testifies to Jesus um, he is the one in whom the prophets spoke about or and even the Psalms. So what does it mean even to read the Old Testament retrospectively as a Christian? And, well, there's a few dangers there because you can get really, really cheesy, what I call the Jesification of everything, and mm. everything becomes about Jesus in a real cheesy sense. But if mm. we do this a little bit more uh, holistically, if we do this a little bit more responsibly and comprehensively, I think we can show that scripture in the Old and the New Testament, in all of its diversities and its differences, does have a coherent witness to Christ and to the people who confess his name. Christ as the center of the Christian Bible. More on that up ahead. But first, we're going to benefit from hearing a bit of chapter 7. There are several books that whenever I see them in bookstores, in catalogues, or on someone's bookshelf, I instinctively roll my eyes. Books that are either heretical, so cheesy that you could dip your Doritos into them, or so self-serving that they come with a Botox voucher and selfie stick. But if there is one book that makes me mumble unsanctified thoughts, it would have to be Sally Lloyd-Jones's children's book, The Jesus Storybook Bible and its subtitle, Every Story Whispers His Name. Now, there is absolutely nothing wrong with this book. The concept is brilliant, and the content is fine. The illustrations are wonderful, and the effect on readers is overwhelmingly positive. In fact, I read the book to my younger children at least once a year. So what is the source of my frustration? Well, simply this, I never wrote it. I wish I did write it, because given its sales, I could be enjoying a nice early retirement with my wife in our love shack on the shores of Queensland's Sunshine Coast. But the primary reason I experience author envy is that this book has become the number one way that young evangelical parents are learning basic biblical theology and how to read the Bible with Jesus at the centre. I'm serious. If it were not for the Jesus Storybook Bible, there would be a whole generation of evangelical men and women who have virtually no idea what the Old Testament is even about. 
how the Old Testament was heading toward a certain climax, and how Jesus really is the goal of the biblical storyline. No wonder that every semester I usually meet a seminary student who confesses that it was thanks to reading the Jesus Storybook Bible to his or her children that they learnt that Abraham came before Moses, that the Old Testament is not simply a random bunch of Sunday school tales, but part of a single and unified story, and that Jesus is the climax of God's saving plan. And do not forget that the point of the book is true. Every biblical story does whisper Jesus' name. Of course, while every story whispers Jesus, though not necessarily with the same volume or in the same key, the entirety of Scripture finds its coherence and unity in Jesus Christ. So, Sally Lloyd-Jones gets a big high-five gift from me on my Twitter account. She has made my job as a seminary professor so much easier by teaching parents, through reading to their children, some basics of the biblical story and its connection to Jesus. Lloyd-Jones tapped into an important conviction that Christians have about Scripture. The Christian Church has ordinarily maintained that Jesus is indeed the interpretive centre of Scripture. That obviously holds true in the New Testament But even the Old Testament should be understood in a Christ-centred fashion. The whole of Scripture either points ahead to Jesus as its fulfilment, Old Testament, or looks back to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith, New Testament. There is ample biblical material that makes this abundantly clear. Seven Things I Wish Christians Knew is brought to you by the Eternity Podcast Network, where you can find other excellent podcasts like Run Like a Woman with Penny Mulvey and Rebecca Abbott. Run Like a Woman is a podcast for every woman at all ages and stages of life. Each episode features some of Australia's best-known women authors and speakers. Feel encouraged, connect with other Christian women, and be inspired in your walk with God. You can find Run Like a Woman with a whole library of other great podcasts over at eternitypodcast.com or just follow the link in the show notes. And also in the show notes, you'll find a link that'll help you get your own copy of Seven Things I Wish Christians Knew. Now, up next, each episode, Mike Bird interviews a well thought out Christian who has a lot to contribute on our current topic. For episode seven, Mike speaks to Megan Curlis Gibson. The Reverend Megan Curlis Gibson has over two decades experience preaching and leading in Anglican churches and schools in Melbourne, Australia. She's currently the senior minister at Deep Creek Anglican Church, where her thoughtful approach to biblical preaching is helping people grow authentic, relevant and experiential faith in Christ. So who better to talk to than Megan when we're trying to see why Christ is the centre of the Christian Bible? Well, hello and welcome to the Seven Things podcast. I'm Mike Bird, author of the book, Seven Things About the Bible I Wish All Christians Knew. And we've been going through each chapter of the book, doing some readings and importantly, talking about the subject matter of each chapter. Uh, And this week, we're talking about uh, reading the Bible in a Christ-centered way. And I'm glad to say I'm joined 
by the Reverend Megan Curlis Gibson, who is a minister at Deep Creek Anglican Church. So welcome along, uh, Megan. Can you can you tell the listeners and viewers something about yourself? Sure. Hi, so, uh, senior minister at Deep Creek, which is in Doncaster East, just kind of suburban Melbourne, for a couple of years. And uh, before that, I uh, had the joy of being a chaplain uh, at a school um, in the northeast of Melbourne, which was superb in making sure that I um, knew that I wasn't just talking to people who believed everything that I said because uh, they didn't believe a word of it. So that was superb. Uh, and I'm married and I've got one daughter, Phoebe, who's 10. Uh, and at the moment, I am down near the beach um, sitting on a bizarre uh couch in a holiday house a a vinyl couch in a holiday house so that's where i am well i think any any couch in a holiday house is going to be a pretty good couch one way or another (laughs) Uh, now megan you're a you know you're a minister you're an anglican minister you're a you're a preacher as well okay so you you have to to bring the word of god to a congregation uh every week with with, with with regularity with verve to make it interesting and everything um, what have you learned from preaching the Old Testament? Uh, I think for me, I really, I really want to make sure that I know that uh, the Old Testament is really ancient when I come to it. I think for me, uh, the temptation for all of us, you know, when we read our, when we read our good old NIV, uh, which I love, um, is to think, oh, this is a really accessible. Um, really easy to understand, you know, the English is great, uh, the stories just sound just like, you know, my life, um, and uh, we can forget that it's really ancient. So for me, um, actually always learning more and more about how ancient and how complex it is um, makes me realise that I've got to work really hard when I'm preaching the Old Testament, uh, but also that it's just an awesome way in uh, to the message of Jesus because it's the scripture that he read uh, and it is just this sort of like compulsory background reading to understand uh, who he is, why he talked about himself the way he did, uh, what he thought he was doing. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really passionate about always having the Old Testament in our preaching program, uh, but I know when I do it that <laughs> I'm going to have to work really hard. Yeah, indeed. Well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a slightly foreign world. I guess. I mean, the New Testament. Very foreign. foreign. Very foreign. Yes. I mean, but most of us don't, you know, don't relate to the problems of polygamy or even famine or plagues of locusts yeah. or um, being invaded by uh, you know, Near Eastern kings are not things that we have to deal with on a routine basis. Of course. And or th- and thankfully as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, no one. Oh, we, we do have actually. We do have a plague in Australia at the moment. We've got the mouse plague in oh, yeah, New South yeah. Wales. So yes, yes. maybe we may, may, maybe we are returning to biblical conditions. No, no. In some no. <laughs> Yeah, no, we don't want to. We don't want to. Okay, now I know you've uh you've recently been working through the book of Daniel, you know, which is yeah. a very good exciting book, uh, a lot of big themes. Uh, you know, it's, I mean, it's it's easier to maybe find Jesus in it in some sense, you know, particularly in chapter 3, you know, where you've got the that kind of mysterious angel and you've got the Mm -hmm, son of man mm -hmm. um what does it mean to preach something like the book of daniel uh as a as not just as scripture but as christian scripture to Mm. a christian audience 
Uh, well, I think, I mean, Daniel, it's interesting that you, you went immediately to Chapter 3. Um, I know I go immediately to Chapter 7 when I'm thinking about um, why we would want to preach Daniel uh, because it's there that we see this picture of the Son of Man coming, just like Jesus said, in the clouds. Uh, for me, um, you know, I think that if we want the, the Gospels to be uh, clear for people, uh, then I'd go... I'd go somewhere like Daniel. Um, what it means for me to preach it Christianly um, is to know that uh, we're not we're not just looking back at Daniel and then or, or any of the scriptures in, in the Old Testament, uh, and then having to put ourselves in his shoes only to look forward to um, you know some sort of future hope. But uh, we're also we're in the in the great uh, privileged position of seeing what Daniel or Jeremiah or Ezekiel hadn't seen. Um, you know, so we don't just sit with them and, and hold on to a, a future hope. We actually already have in our past, which they didn't have, um, the fulfilment of so much of what they were looking forward to in Jesus Christ. So uh, for me, uh, preaching Daniel Christianly is not to just put myself in his shoes and then to say, look what he looked forward to, but to say, uh, I've got a step in the middle there that I actually already have uh, the privilege of being able to look back at some events in history of Jesus' death and resurrection, and then I'm looking forward to the coming full messianic age. Uh, so I, I, you've got to put, you can't just sit in his shoes, you know, you've got to step out further in history. Yeah, I think that's, that's a very good way to put it. I mean, we, we can't just approach the text as if it's, you know, forward-looking, Mm -hmm, you're mm -hmm. waiting for the son of man i guess yeah, we, yeah, you know, yeah. We're, we're, we're looking i guess backwards somewhat retrospectively at yes. the son of man who has already come and depending on how you understand mm -hmm. the what mm -hmm. that coming means and, and and how it plays out uh but we we do play we, we do think of it um christianly mm -hmm. uh you know with, with jesus at the center and and I guess we'll see things that will remind us of Jesus, like, you know, the angel in chapter three, you know, is it a Christophany or is it just an angel? You know, people will dispute it. Uh, Daniel seven. Um, yeah. You can mm -hmm. think about what it means in light of the context of itself about, you know, the four pagan beasts and, you know, which one's Greece, which one's Rome, which one's Persia and the Medes. And none of them are Rome. Just letting you know. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> It's actually the European Union. That's the yeah, one. Yeah, that's right. Correct. That's right. One, you know, the, with the, the, the extra the horn that boasts. I'm sure I've seen a European soccer team that's got a <laughs> rhino with a big horn. Oh, I'm sure there is one. Uh, yeah, and then, you know, and then reading that in light of what Jesus says about the Son of Man, it just takes on whole new significance and, and you can't kind of block that out. It's yeah, always got to yeah. be at the back of your mind and, and the mind of your congregation when you're you're coming through it. Um, yeah, I mean, let me change track a, a little bit. We'll come back to sort of the Jesus yeah, sure. um, thing. Um, is, how, how does the Old Testament then, when, when you, we're preaching, um, if we're not going to just like, you know, real cheesily Jesify everything, sure. I mean, I mean what else can we find in the story? Is there something about just sort of a general theology of God? Is there something for Christian living we can take away? Um, because I feel like people only, it, it's only a Christian to preach the Old Testament if everything, you know, therefore, you know, the true meaning of Obadiah 9 is John 3.16. The true meaning of Malachi 1.1 1, 1 is John 3.16. Or the true meaning of, you know, Jeremiah 9.26. I mean, unless you're really cheesily Jesusifying, people think you're not reading it Christianly. Mm, mm. Um, 
but I'd say there's still a room to accept the the, the theological story and and the advice, the guidance. Of mm, the for that's sure. Given. So absolutely. What are your thoughts on that, Megan? I would say wisdom is that word uh, that that you can see um, if you're looking at a narrative, for example, um, knowing that the the Hebrew believers put such a store living as wise people, that that's, you know, that that's actually how God blessed them as human beings was to give them uh, his wisdom, you know, the beginning of which was the fear of the Lord. But uh, to live with wisdom uh, is what we see in so many of the narratives. Uh, And so, again, you know, as you said, we've been preaching Daniel. Uh, You can see Daniel uh, coming in as a wise man, being able to bring revelation um, to a world that doesn't understand itself. Uh, So for me, uh, you'll see that heaps through the Old Testament, that we as uh, believers in Christ, uh, followers of God, actually are always ahead of the game in understanding the world, in understanding people, uh, because we've got God's wisdom. Uh, And so, you know, I would would take us to... uh, 1 Corinthians or something, um, to to talk about how uh, God gives his wisdom uh, and mostly um, reveals that through Christ. But you you can then talk about this is how Daniel lived as a wise man. This is what he did when he uh, stood with integrity. Uh, We had a guest who came and said, look, look how Daniel met the narcissism of this leader, um, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, with empathy. Uh, and brought and 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 in his uh, and in the speaker's wisdom said, uh, you know, if you look at psychology today, it actually tells you that disarming a narcissist uh, with empathy is a really wise way to go. So uh, for me, yeah, seeing that uh, living with wisdom and how you can bring God's wisdom to those who don't know Him as a blessing to the world uh, is a great way to read some of those Old Testament texts. Oh, indeed, indeed. Um, I've also found it interesting the way um, different people do things with the Old Testament. Uh, you know, one of my, someone I know, Tom Wright, he was doing some research about how the Old Testament was taught at the University of St. Andrews for a couple of hundred mm. years. Mm. And what he found out is the, the New Testament was like telling you how to be a Christian and they taught the Old Testament because it told you how to run a Protestant state. So basically, <laughs> yeah. that was the function. So that's why it was very yeah. important for, um, you know, kings to literally read the Book of Kings because you yeah. know that's, that's that's this is this is this is a bad king. This is to be a good king. You're a good Protestant king, so you need to be about that king. And that if people who are really treating the Old Testament, you know, mm. how, how to run a Protestant state, and mm. um, how intensely they were doing that, depending on the. You know, whether, whether you've got, you know, Charles the First or James the First, you know, how they were doing that. Um, uh-huh. But it was very interesting. And I tend to think Christians today read the Old Testament looking for little tidbits of um, inspiration. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to, you know, sure. you know the, the Jeremiah 29 thing. Um, or we can, we can do it in a real cheesy way of trying to make everything about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, you know, I, w- I want to preach and teach the Old Testament Christianly you know, with Christ mm. at the center, pointing to Christ. But I, I do think it means we can miss out on certain things. And I think you touched on that with, mm. you know, we've also got to look for the wisdom. Um, mm. We've got to look for the teaching of the character of God. And I mean, let's take something like a story about David and Bathsheba. Mm. Now I've heard this story preached 
um, to the effect that, you know, yes, this David failed, but don't worry, we've got a better David that's coming and he's going to be faithful and, you know, he's going to treat the church as his bride, which is all well and good. Mm. But mm. I also think when you read a story like of David and Bathsheba, it's also don't commit murder, mm. don't covet someone else's wife and don't commit sexual violence. I mean, I think mm, that's a mm, mm, pretty big part of the message as well. I mean, you know, I mean, there are some, there is some ethical difficulties. There's things in the Old Testament we look about, we go, oh, you know, mm. it's not, that's not how I want to, you know, conduct warfare today, kind mm. of doing like that. Um, in terms of reading the Old Testament for ethics uh, mm. and particularly how you communicate, you know, ethics to people in a congregation, um, what, what do you do in that space when you're, when you're reading the Old Testament or preaching from the Old Testament? Um, how do you bring out an, maybe an ethical vision for, for, the, for the congregation? Mm. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, you can, uh, I think that's why you um, make sure that you're reading each chapter uh, with what it brings uh, for itself, what you would miss if you didn't have that chapter. You know, it's possible to preach um, kind of almost the same message uh, uh, for a whole book if you're bringing it straight to the New Testament. Jesus is the better, dot, dot, dot. Um, so if you bring it into each chapter and say, oh, what's happening here? It's not difficult to then go, oh, there's something that's kind of kicked me in the guts here. I need to say to my congregation, we need to, to acknowledge this uh, why why is this inappropriate or why is this a great um, a great example to us today? We at Deep Creek, um, we've got kind of 12 missional habits uh, and uh, four of those are about dealing with our doubts and uh, weariness. So our, our kind of overarching thing is to have refreshing faith and part of that is to be strengthening to the weary and doubting. And so for me, what it means uh, in looking at the Old Testament in any part of the scriptures is that um, our four missional habits that go with that is to be uh, honest about our questions, burdens. If you're looking at an Old Testament text, what is this raising? Um, not, not just going straight to Jesus, as you say, but what does it mean that I'm looking at this and getting a visceral reaction or, you know, is this appropriate, is this not appropriate? Being deep thinking in how we apply, so it's our second, being deep thinking how we apply scripture to our uh, real life, current life, I shouldn't say real life, current life, uh, and compassionate with each other, with ourselves when we actually find it tricky, uh, and then being transformed by the Holy Spirit in all of that. Uh, so, so when I come to the Old Testament, I kind of let myself be the one who gets the agony of deconstruction and reconstruction um, before I bring a message to the congregation. And so uh, I don't want to go straight to ethics. I don't want to go straight to this is how you can live well. Um, I want to let the text actually really unsettle me. And then I want to ask those questions about why it's doing that. Uh, and then I want to say, well, well, what does the whole narrative arc of Scripture tell me? about um, why that's unsettling or why that's encouraging and then uh, bring it out on its own merits from that chapter. Now, whether I do that successfully <laughs> or whether I have time to actually do that full process is yeah. another matter. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, there are those those sort of the things you'll come across where you'll just go like, like a bit of a bit of an eyebrow raise or a gut thing. And I find that it's useful in sermons to often do like a little sidebar. So yeah, you know, yeah, you're, that's you're right. doing something yeah. through Genesis. Thinking, okay, look, you may have noticed uh, yes. the way the way um, Sarah is treating Hagar. Uh, yes. Let's talk about that for a second because you're probably wondering yes. about that. Yeah. And um, and it, and it's good because that's that's the question that people are going to have if they if they don't have it before they came in, they're going to have it when they get out. And yeah. you'll probably get the same question from every from every second parishioner yeah. at the end of the yeah. sermon, like, oh yeah, but what about kind of yeah. And if they don't have that relationship with you or that access to you that they can ask you, you know, particularly if you're doing online church, um, then they're just going to go away with that little niggle. Yeah. Uh, and I actually think that's really um, that's really unhelpful for those little niggles to keep building up mm. uh, because that's where then people start to lose confidence in the scripture as something that can speak to us today, that can inform us today, and that is. Um, actually full of life yeah and goodness and yeah that's yeah 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 excellent well megan do you have a favorite book of the old testament to preach on and, and what was it is there is there a book you've done with saying that was a pretty good series uh well we i've enjoyed doing jonah a couple of times um partly because uh my very creative husband designed um, a, <laughs> a kid's um, illustration where you blew a party blower and um, and Jonah was spat out of the whale. And so uh, that, that certainly is very memorable. But I love uh, the challenge that Jonah brings to us of the outward looking and the kind of, you know, are there people that you really would rather sit under God's judgment? What does it mean about you? I mean, I'm kind of this constant, uh, I am angry that the plant has died, you know, um, I'm angry enough to die. That's, that's just me every second day. So I do, I did love Jonah. Um, well, you know, there was a guy up in America got swallowed by a whale. I know, I know, I know that was very exciting. He's now going to be in every single Jonah sermon uh, for all of of posterity, (laughs) for the rest of church history. I know, I know. There was a guy who got swallowed by a whale. (laughs) They weren't making this stuff up. That's right, that's right. Um. We love, uh, I've loved to do the Psalms, um, particularly the, the kind of key messianic Psalms. Um, and uh, I love to try and get um, some Old Testament uh, kind of chronological movement um, through Advent usually. So sort of how is this, how is the promise of God um, come to us? How has it been played out? And, uh, and we're doing Daniel now. And um, there's, I really wanted to do the entirety of Daniel. I didn't want to just kind of do one to six. Um, and I think that uh, Daniel, the later chapters of Daniel, even though they sort of, they can tell the same message of evil empire and um, uh, you also got these opportunities to talk about uh larger systematic theology sort of stuff like um, 
angels and demons, what's going on in the heavenly realms, the unseen realm. Uh, and so I'm going to use it. Uh, we haven't got there yet. Um, so I'm going to use it for that. Uh, and also, uh, as you um, have, have spoken about before, great stuff on repentance uh, in Chapter 9. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really enjoying that. Um, and I'm really enjoying being able to both speak into our lives in our world of opposition and our sense of exile uh, and how you live as a wise person, how you live as someone who actually works for the good. You know, you see him just doing that Jeremiah call of uh, working for the good of the city, working for the good of the the kings under under whom he's serving, um, but then also saying, oh, my gosh, God sends his people into the midst of evil empire and doesn't bring them out of it, um, uh, but actually it uses them there to shape history. Uh, and then Jesus himself, you know, into the midst of death, you know, goes right down, doesn't get taken out, that's right into the, the ultimate exile, if you like, and, uh, and then explodes it from the inside. So, yeah, we've been, we've been enjoying Daniel. Okay, well, glad to hear. Well, uh, Megan, thank you for joining me on the podcast. I'm sure our listeners would have benefited from hearing an actual practitioner who's got to wrestle with the issue of how do I preach the Old Testament uh, Christianly mm. uh, to a congregation, you know, week by week. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, yeah, so for everyone who's been listening, thank you for joining along with the show, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. See ya. Thanks for joining us for 7 Things I Wish Christians Knew. We hope it's been a helpful challenge for some of the unconscious assumptions we make about history's best-selling book. Hey, Mike, in our last two sentences or so, what do you think the takeaway is for this episode? I think we can take away that it's good to read the Bible in different levels. I mean, you've got to look at the historical level. You've got to look at the ethical level. You've got to look at what you might call the biblical theology level with the development of a story. But I think somewhere in the midst of all that, we've got to think, what does this tell me about Christ? And what does this tell me about my relationship with Christ? And that's the kind of uh, Christocentric, dare I say, spiritual level of reading scripture that is distinctly Christian. Mate, I just want to say thanks for actually opening up seven things I wish Christians knew for us. It's not often that you get to chat with the author about such a great book. And if when you've been listening, you've really got captured by what we've been talking about, we want to encourage you to get a hold of the book it's all based on. Just follow the link in the show notes. Seven Things I Wish Christians Knew has been an Eternity Podcast Network production. Mike, thanks very much for being on the show. Uh, thank you very much, Mark. And thank you for our listeners who have been through all the episodes. This has been great, so much fun, and I hope you've been edified and encouraged by what we've covered. That's certainly the goal, and we hope that you'll stay tuned for another podcast with Mike Bird soon. See ya. Brought to you by the Eternity Podcast Network.